listening to the Vineyard Church's UK and Ireland podcast. The following audio was taken from the Cause to Live For 2022, our annual event for students' 20s and 30s. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited for tonight. It has been just a joy and an honor to be here. Um, you know, if you think about it, it, we've not even really been going a full day and a half But hasn't it just felt like, wow, God's brought us on a whole lot more than whatever 36 hours worth um, has been. God just kind of jam-packs these times. And, um, you know, I'm going to try and, as I talk tonight, put sort of a a bow on the experience to the best that I can, um, knowing that, you know, God's done so much in each of our lives, there's no possible way we could recognize everything God's done uh, in the time we have tonight, there's, there's no way. But, um, you know, as I was looking back, I was trying to sort of reflect back on, on the sessions and the journey that God's brought us on thus far. And uh, we started, uh, for those of us that could make yesterday afternoon, we really started kind of talking about, I suppose, kingdom sacrifice. This idea that, like, you know, the, the not my will but yours is something that God asks of us in this thing called the kingdom. There's times when he brings us and he says, you know what, I'm gonna ask for something that's actually gonna cost you. But I'm doing that because I wanna make you into something. And by giving something up, you get something of me. And that's the way he grows us into more than we presently are and uses us in his kingdom. Last night, we talked about our kingdom identity And we talked about how there's a not my will but yours when it comes to the story of who I believe myself to be. That the Christian story of identity is actually a story of giving up our ability to define ourselves and receiving a definition from God. Saying, I'm not who I even want to be. I'm who you say I am. You're the potter. I'm the clay. I receive who I am. This morning, I was trying to figure out how to, how to summarize Pete's talk, which was awesome. I really enjoyed that. Um, I'll say it was a talk, among many other things, on kingdom narratives, on how there's a not my will but yours when it comes to the things that we decide to follow, to believe, the stories that we subscribe to, and how in the kingdom of God, we have to lay down the idols of our culture and pick up not my will, but yours when it comes to the stories that articulate truth. Now, sprinkled in all around that, of course, we've had many interviews and workshops and and wonderful things. I I unfortunately can't summarize all of those. (laughs) But as we come to a conclusion here tonight, I wanted to pick up actually more the back half of the theme that we've been focusing on this weekend. The the theme, of course, is, is comes out of Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying, God, this is hard. God, you know, if there's another way. And he utters those infamous words, not my will, but yours. Most of what we've talked about, at least in, in the first three sessions, has actually been kind of more focused on the first half, not my will. On the laying down, on the giving up, on the surrendering. And that's important. It starts there. If we don't do that, we don't have anything. But the call of the gospel is actually not complete in just repent. It's repent and believe. 
There's a back half of it. It's not just not my will. It's not my will, but yours. God calls us to give something up because he's interested not just in us losing something, but he's looking to make a divine exchange. He's not trying to just take something out of our hands. He actually wants to put something in our hands. It's just that what's in our hands beforehand has to be removed first. And so I want to focus on the back half of that tonight. What does it look like to be a people who are living, who are walking, who are enacting God's will? And I can't help when I think about that, when I think about scriptures that, that kind of address that and where particularly Jesus gets into that, I, I can't help but be drawn to the infamous Lord's Prayer that Jesus utters in Matthew 6. He's, he's delivering the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching on all kinds of incredible things. He's talking about ethics. He's talking about how to live. He's talking about uh, morality, all of these things. And there's a section in, in Matthew 6 where he, he, he tells his disciples, here's how you should pray. And he covers a number of things in the prayer. He, he begins with worship. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about provision, all these kinds of things. And Matthew 6.10 is kind of sandwiched right in the middle of it where he says this, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can't pursue God's will. We can't actually say, God, not my will, but yours, without running straight into the kingdom of God. Because Jesus says that his will being done is the kingdom of God coming. And we can't talk about this glorious thing called the kingdom of God, which is God's, God's action, God's activity, God's ruling in our world in concrete and clear ways. The kingdom of God is about God stepping uh, off his throne and into your life. You can't talk about the kingdom of God without talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 12. He says, look, if it's by the Spirit of God that I've driven out demons, then surely you know the kingdom of God has come upon you. What's he saying there? He's saying this. Look, we can't talk about the kingdom and leave out the Holy Spirit. Why? The Spirit's the one who makes the kingdom happen. And so tonight, what I want to talk about is how is it that God's will is done through this thing called partnering with the Holy Spirit? Now, it's quite likely that in this room, we're all kind of in a different place with this interesting character called the Holy Spirit. Some of us might be like, this is the talk I've finally been waiting for. I was waiting. I knew there had to be a Holy Spirit talk. And so some of you are like, all right, here we go. What a night. We had great worship. We had people give their lives to Jesus. We did communion and now Holy Spirit. I'm ready to go. But I know that there's many of us that are sort of like, man, I just, if honest, I don't know what I think about all that. It's strange. It's weird. And if that's where you're at, the first thing I want to say is, I totally get it. Like, seriously, actually, I totally get it. When I first came into an environment that was talking about the Holy Spirit, that was trying to uh, practice and partner with the Holy Spirit in concrete and clear and tangible ways, I was totally wigged out. Is that a phrase you guys use here, wigged out? 
weirded out. Like it <laughs> tripped up. I don't know. Like American slang. I was wigged out, okay? And and it was hard for me, and it didn't click, and it took me a long time. In fact, God had to sort of confront me rather dramatically to get me to engage with the topic at all. So I want to say, if that's where you're at, I want to say, like, I totally get it, and this is a judgment-free space. And in fact, what I would love to actually say is, if I'm totally honest, I doubt you're as closed as I was. I've met very few people who are. I wasn't just sort of like, I don't know what I think. I was like, I do know what I think. I think it's a cult. I don't know what you people are doing. That's where I was at. So like, you know, I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I don't cast stones at anybody, all right? But one of the things I want to say is this. Look, if you're looking at the Holy Spirit and you're like, I don't know what I think about the Holy Spirit, because, man, that's just weird. Like, I can get on board with the rest of it, but that's just weird. You know, Here's what I want to say. If If you'll actually stop and just think about it for a minute or two, there's actually nothing that we believe that's not weird. Like, like seriously, okay? Like, we believe that when everything had gone wrong in the story, God thought, oh, I have a good idea. I'm going to become a dude. And he gets born in, like, this backwoods corner of an oppressed people group, and then God does nothing godlike for like 30 years. He just like sits off in the sticks somewhere. Is that a phrase you use, the sticks? Okay, he sits off in the sticks somewhere for 30 years. And then what happens is his cousin dunks him, a bird lands on his shoulder, he goes out to the desert, has a square off with Satan, and then all of a sudden he's got a miracle ministry. This is weird. So then he calls 12 losers pours into them like world-changing teaching as if they have any idea what to do with it for three years, then decides, okay, it's time to wrap this thing up. We're going to overthrow Satan. So he goes to Jerusalem and dies, except he's not even very good at that. (laughs) So he doesn't stay dead very long. Next thing you know, he's up out of the tomb and it's like, okay, this is cool. This is exciting. But then he's like hiding himself from everybody. And just when you think, okay, he's going to like prove that he's like really the big deal. The dude runs off to heaven, hides up there and tells us to tell everybody about this. (laughs) Like what about that is not weird. (laughs) It's totally weird. But this is the thing. That's the weird you're used to. And we don't really get to pick which parts of the gospel we say yes to or not. We don't, we don't actually have the right to draw a line and say, well, I'll take that much weird, but I won't take weird past that. If the story continues, and if Jesus were to say, oh, I don't know, something like, hang out until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll have the power to be my witnesses, that's actually a weird that we have to allow ourselves to swallow along with all the other. But I have good news, and it's this. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. The Holy Spirit's weird. That's actually good. Because here's why. If the Holy Spirit wasn't weird, how would we have any idea that God was actually doing something? See, if God does anything that's not typically human, what are we going to call it? Weird. So you don't want a Holy Spirit who's normal. Because then there's no way to know if it's us or God. 
You want a Holy Spirit that's a little bit weird. Now, what you don't want is to add your own weird. We don't need to add weird to God. He can be weird. I don't have to be weird, right? But we're going to allow God to be God because we want him to do the God things. We want him to do the things that transcend what you and I can do. We need him to do the things that transcend what you and I can do. And when we allow that, what we'll find is this. Yeah, God's weird because the kingdom's weird. Because when God flexes his God muscles and does God stuff, yeah, it's weird. But it's more than weird, it's good. The Holy Spirit is more good than weird. Now, if anybody's thinking about starting a t-shirt company, <laughs> just make more good than weird. Send me one t-shirt and you can have the idea and I won't sue you. <laughs> I'm an American, so that's my first thought, right? <laughs> no, seriously, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that at all, right? But, but the Holy Spirit is more good than weird. At a situation, I kind of hinted at this, I think, in one of the earlier sessions. At a situation, um, a few months ago, I was working uh, with a church. A friend of mine has a, a multi-site church, and while I've been in the process of discerning my next steps to church plant in Colorado, or in Arizona, Phoenix, where did Colorado come from? Um, church plant in Phoenix, I'm, um, he said, hey, would you help me out? One of my campus pastors unexpectedly left. I said, sure, yeah, I'll do that. So I'm, I'm in this church and I'm doing the thing that happens when you go to a new church. You do like a hundred coffees and lunches as quick as you can because you want to try and get to know everybody. And so one day I find myself sitting at Starbucks. Is that bad here? Do you guys judge Starbucks or? <laughs> it's what we got, okay? I'm sorry. <laughs> I know we're not so good at this thing, okay? We're doing our best. So I find myself at Starbucks with... Um, a, uh, a mother-daughter combination. The daughter is like, has just graduated uni. She's about to start graduate school. And so her mom is like in her 50s, I think, maybe young 50s is my guess. I'm not exactly sure her age. And so I'm just talking to him. I'm like, hey, tell me about your story. Tell me about meeting Jesus, all of this. And, and the mom starts talking. She goes, um, Oh, she told me her story, and then I asked, I asked this question. This is what, what God asked her. I said, hey, what are you excited about that God's doing in your life right now? I love that question. That's a beautiful question. What are you excited about that God's doing in your life right now? So she says, well, I, this is kind of weird, but I've had this situation for a long time, like a bunch of years in my life, where it's like at night, every once in a while, it feels like my uncle comes into my bedroom and it's like not a good thing and I get all creeped out and weirded out and it like disturbs me and it frightens me and all this stuff and it doesn't happen all the time but it just gets in my head and it's really bad and, and it's been happening for years and years but I've been working with this therapist and we're doing this this kind of whatever thing she described some therapy thing which I didn't entirely understand and, and she's like it's good like I'm seeing some progress here I'm really excited about that now, when she says that, for me, I'm like, spidey senses tingling, this is weird. <laughs> your uncle, who, oh, by the way, is passed away. Your passed away uncle is coming into your bedroom. I feel a little odd about that, but you're excited about it. You feel like you're getting progress, cool. So I'm like, whatever, it's fine. But inside, I go, something smells a little funny here. And I pray this short prayer. I say, God, 
I don't know if this is a moment where I should step in and offer to pray for this situation or not. Like, I can't tell. So if this is you, I need you to bring this back around in the conversation. I'm not gonna do it. If you bring it back around, I'll know it's you and I'll step in and pray. So we keep talking and we changed gears and we're talking about other things. And like 20 minutes later, she's like, you know, I just, I know it's weird, but let me go back to that uncle thing. Brings it back up again. So I said, okay, cool. Hey, you know, this might seem a little weird. I mean, given we're, we're in Starbucks and whatever, but can I just actually like pray for you about that real quick? And she's like, oh, uh, okay. So I kind of slide over on the seat next to her and she closes her eyes and, and I just pray for her. And it's, it's, I mean, people are coming in and getting their coffee and stuff. Like, I'm, This isn't like a big, long prayer thing. This is like 30 seconds, 60 seconds, absolute most 90, right? And nobody could probably even tell we're praying, right? Nobody's like kneeling or anything. I'm just, I'm just praying for her. And so I finish praying. I open her eyes and she's got tears in her eyes. She's like, wow, that was, that was just so cool. Nobody's ever, nobody's ever prayed for me like that before. That was amazing. And I'm like, awesome. Jesus is so cool. We finish our coffee. We go home. The next morning, I see her at church because it's Saturday. So Sunday, I see her and say, hey, how are you doing? She goes, oh my gosh, I feel amazing. I don't know if I've ever felt this good since you prayed for me. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. All right, well, I just, I pray that continues. That's awesome. So three days later, like Wednesday or whatever that week, she sends me a text just to kind of catch up. And this is what she texts me. I, I saved it because, you know, when they text you, you can save it. She says, hey, I wanted to tell you I've continued feeling Christ-centered strong and at peace and so good internally since you prayed over me that day in Starbucks. I don't believe I've ever felt this way in my life. I certainly don't remember if I did. For many years, since I was eight years old, this woman's in her 50s, since I was eight years old, after my uncle died, I periodically have, I'm not even sure how to say this, but like a strong presence of negativity and fear in my bedroom. In fact, I'd actually feel it sit on my bed and the mattress would lower. It would happen infrequently, three or four times a year, always when I was asleep. And every time it would happen, my body would go numb. I'd lose my voice. I couldn't move. I couldn't scream. I was terrified. It was the last for several minutes, although I couldn't time it because I couldn't move. Just a few days ago, I actually had three scratches show up on my left arm, and I had the visitor experience again. Except this time it was 1 a.m., and I was awake. The difference was... I didn't feel numb, I didn't feel scared, and I could talk. I said, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm loved by him, and you can't hurt me, so go away. I repeated this several times without fear and a bold confidence that I didn't have until you prayed over me. You and the church are making such a positive difference in me finding my true self again before all of life made its mark. That experience changed my life. I've never had anyone pray over me like that. Therapists couldn't help me with over 40 years of trying. And yet you did. The weight you lifted with your prayer changed so much. My relationship with God and myself. Now because that woman was going to church with me, I could follow up with her for about the next six months. And she continued to accelerate into freedom, into healing, into breakthrough. That woman's life changed. And you know what it took? It took 60 seconds in Starbucks. It took 60 seconds in Starbucks of recognizing, 
oh, this is a moment when the Holy Spirit's doing something. And a woman who's been seeking freedom for 40 plus years gets it like that. Is the Holy Spirit a little bit weird? Yeah, he's weird. It's weird to pray for somebody in Starbucks. But if that's the payoff, it is so worth being a little weird. I promise you, he's more good than weird. So the Holy Spirit is amazing. He's fantastic. And what I want to do the rest of our talk and as we head into ministry here is I want to talk about how do we actually do that? Like, okay, cool, Holy Spirit, maybe I'm excited about him, maybe I can just kind of live with this talk for now, whatever it is. But like, how does that actually happen? Because here's the thing, right? That story doesn't happen because I'm awesome. And like, look, all I've got is a weird accent, right? All, all I am is a strange American. Like, I'm not any different than you. I don't have any secret sauce. Really. Like, we can do this. It's like, oh, if you're up on the stage, like, somehow you're like a, a cool Christian or an important Christian. Or, I mean, we religiousize it, right? We're like, you're anointed or whatever, you know, whatever that means. Look, the only anointing that matters is the anointed one, Christ. It's not about my anointing or your anointing. It's about the one who is anointed, Jesus. And so you can do that. You might not know how, but you have everything you need. And so how does that work? Like, can we put some teeth on that? I want to try and put some teeth on it tonight. First in the scriptures and then in practice. Can we do that? Yeah? Okay. Now, the first thing I want to do is I want to hit a couple of verses. We're going to fly through this quickly because um, I really want to try and spend the, the majority of our time doing together. But I want to hit a few verses because I think it's really important that we learn to think biblically about what partnering with the Holy Spirit is supposed to look like. If we don't have a biblical picture, we'll probably just make some picture up. And whatever picture you make up is probably not going to be accurate and almost certainly not helpful. And so I want to start, actually, by reading some of the very first verses of the Bible. And I was so glad because Pete, actually, this morning, hit some of these same verses. And what I want to do is read these verses, and I want to pull on them a little bit to understand what the Holy Spirit is doing here and how he's working. So the very first verses of the Bible are one of the most clear displays of God's incredible power. There's probably two places where God has power on display this profoundly. The first would be here, and the second would be the resurrection of Jesus. This is like, if you want to see God's power in action, Genesis 1 is pretty significant. I mean, he made everything, right? So here's what's happening in Genesis 1. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, hold on. Those first two verses really matter here, because sometimes people picture what's happening here incorrectly. When, when I was growing up, I heard a lot of sermons, I shouldn't say a lot of sermons, I heard enough sermons about this, that I... Picture Genesis 1 as the story 
primarily of there being nothing at all. And then what happens is like God speaks a word and what happens is like creation pops out of his mouth and we go from nothing to something. That's actually not what's being described in most of Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, the very first verse says this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We don't know how, but God made everything. The heavens exist, the earth exists. So we're not talking about God making the earth or making the heavens. We're actually talking about something different. Because the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. Those are Bible, Bible-y type words. Without form, void. Like, what is that supposed to mean? The, the idea is this. Without form and void means unstructured. It means chaotic. It means, like, undisciplined, unorganized. It's like everything is everywhere. I, I make this joke sometimes, um, and it might be true for some of us in this room. Anyone who has a, a teenager that lives in their house, that teenager's bedroom is about guaranteed to be without form and void. There's like clothes all over the floor. There's a plate in the corner. We've got books strewn everywhere. It's like everything could be a place that it belongs, but nothing is where it belongs. And everything is everywhere. Some of us are like, ooh, that's me too. (laughs) That's without form and void. So God creates the earth and the earth exists, but the earth is not a structured, habitable place that's fit for life. And so the rest of Genesis 1, from this verse onward, is actually not the story of God like popping something out from nothing and creating something from thin air. It's actually the story of God taking unstructured chaos and structuring it and ordering it and filling it with life. Now, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because what we're about to see is the way that the word and the spirit cooperate to bring structure where there's chaos and life where there's death. When we partner with the Holy Spirit today, we're doing exactly that. We're saying, Holy Spirit, would you come and where there's chaos in someone's body, it's broken. It's not the way it should be. When there's distress in their mind, when there's brokenness in their finances, in their relationships, or whatever else it is, where there's that without form and void in their life, Spirit of God, would you order and create life where there was chaos and death? It's not creating something out of nothing It's God bringing raw material into the design he has for it. And that happens this way. It says the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Fascinatingly, the first thing that happens is the Holy Spirit's on the scene. I've always kind of thought about Genesis 1. First is like God said, God said, God said. And God did say. And that does matter. But before God ever said, the Holy Spirit hovered. 
First thing that happens actually is the spirit of God begins to come and begins to hover over chaos, begins to hover over darkness, begins to hover over death. And it's into the context of God's hovering presence that God said, let there be light. What happens is the word of God, as it were, kind of collides with the spirit of God. And the word and the spirit come together to create light out of dark. Come together to separate the oceans from the land and the seas. Come together to to create the plants and the animals and eventually come together to create the crown jewel of creation, us, that we talked about. It's not just God said, it's God said into a hovering, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit who's already beginning to work on chaos and brokenness. Now, I would love to take much more time and talk about how that pattern is actually a pattern that you can trace through the whole Bible. The Word and the Spirit collaborate together to release the creative power of God over and over and over and over and over again. And that really matters because that's how God does it with us too. Let me just do that bad habit where preachers jump from Genesis right to Jesus. (laughs) This is saying I have seven minutes, so that's what we get, okay? I'm not going to do seven minutes. I'm just telling you right now. Okay, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we jump to Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Jesus, as John says, Jesus is the word. He's the word made flesh who came to dwell among us. So Jesus is born as the word become a human being. And you know what's fascinating? That word doesn't do anything God-like for 30 years until he gets dunked by his cuz. <laughs> he comes up out of the water and the spirit of God comes and hovers on him. Now, you know how like, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. This is like a puzzling little detail. In Matthew, Jesus comes up to, to John. He says, hey, I'd really like you to baptize me. And John rightfully says, I don't, I think we've got this the wrong way around. Like, I think if anybody should be baptizing anybody here, you should be baptizing me. And I feel like that's the right answer, right? And Jesus answers something really puzzling. He says this, no, 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 we got to do it this way because this fulfills all righteousness, Now, maybe you've ever never noticed that little clause before, but I've always felt really confused by that. Like, wait a minute, Jesus wasn't righteous? I mean, that's kind of like the natural implication of that phrase. (laughs) What does that mean? That makes me nervous. (laughs) This really tripped me up, actually, for, for, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years. And then I realized, oh, here's what's happening, actually. This is profound, and it's beautiful. What's happening in Jesus' baptism is it's actually a recreation of the very picture of Genesis 1. Where's Jesus In the waters. Where does the Holy Spirit come and hover over in Genesis 1? In the waters. 
So Jesus is being baptized, the word now in creation, incarnated. He's being baptized. He comes up and the spirit of God comes and hovers over the waters and the word and the spirit are together again in the waters for the first time since Genesis 1. And the signaling, which you and I miss because we're 20 centuries removed, but there's no way they missed in Jesus' day is this. It's like, oh my gosh, there's a whole new creation about to begin. The word and the spirit come together again and all of a sudden Jesus goes from some backwoods carpenter to a miraculous ministry overnight. And he has his ministry and he teaches his disciples and he has all these amazing things for three and a half years and then plot twist, he dies. Oops, no one saw that coming. I mean, he told them like a bunch of times but they still didn't catch it. And so he dies, right? He gets buried, he resurrects and whoop, he goes off to heaven. Now, sometimes we can think like, oh, that's the end of the story. Jesus is gone. Like Jesus isn't here anymore. He's up there. And what the New Testament wrestles with is like, it's true to say he's up there. That's true. But what's not true is to say that he's not here. Because what's actually happening here is it's sort of like this. Jesus is putting off one body so he can take up many bodies. He's, he's putting off the one. Why? So that he can live in you. The word still lives on planet earth. How? It lives in you and me. Paul makes it really clear. He's like, the word dwells in your heart through faith. And what that means is this. If the word and the spirit are ever going to come together, part of that is actually buried in you. Where's the word? It's actually in here. Now the spirit, after Jesus ascends, in Acts 2, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on all flesh, a la Peter's sermon. What does that mean? What's that talking about? What it means is this. It doesn't mean, for example, everybody gets saved. What it means is everybody's a potential target. The spirit of God, which hovered over the person of Jesus, when Jesus goes back up and he's enthroned as king of all creation, he pours out that same Holy Spirit on the entire planet such that the Spirit of God can now hover over the chaos and the brokenness and the darkness in anyone's life at any time. And what that means is simply this. If we want to learn how to partner with the Holy Spirit, if we want to see the kingdom of God come, here's how it works. We actually step into that same biblical pattern. The first thing that happens, if we're, we're, we're apt and we're, we're learning and we're growing in this area, the first thing that happens is we learn to see the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit over somebody's life. And we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like in just a little bit. But the story I referenced earlier, that's a good example I'm in the middle of a conversation. I'm like, this is weird. You're telling me about some like weird uncle thing. I feel creeped out right now. And what's my prayer? God, I can't tell if this is the hovering presence of your Holy Spirit. If it is, bring it back around so I can step in. So the first thing we learn to do is we learn to identify that hovering presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you've got eyes to see it, you can learn. 
And when that happens, you know what we have to do? This is, this is the scary part, is we have to step in and we have to meet that hovering presence of the Holy Spirit by bringing the word that lives inside of us out through us. And that looks like taking action. That looks like praying a prayer. That looks like doing something that comes from the place of faith. Because the word dwells in your heart through faith. And when the word comes up and out of you into the context of the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit, you know what will happen? You'll see the word and the spirit come together again and stuff will go down. Like for real, cool stuff, powerful stuff, kingdom stuff will happen. I'll give you an example of this in action that's actually from the Apostle Paul. If you find yourself bored this week and you're looking for um, some scripture to read, read some of the miraculous stories in the book of Acts and look for this pattern. It is often really explicit. Here's one example. Acts 14. Paul is doing Paul's Paul thing. And what's Paul's Paul thing? It's go somewhere nobody's ever preached the gospel and plant a church. That was like Paul's thing. He's all about it. He's like, I want to go to territory. Nobody's ever proclaimed the name of Jesus. So he's doing that. And he comes to this place, Lystra. And he's preaching to people who've never heard the name of Jesus before. And here's what happens. Fascinating. It says, now at Lystra, there was a man who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. Now look at this language. Look at this language. And Paul, looking intently at him. What's that language? That's the language of Paul seeing something. Paul, in the middle of his sermon, he's talking and he sees something and he goes, oh my gosh, that's the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit right there. How do I know that? Here's how I know that. It says this, looking intently at him and seeing that he had the faith to be made well. And you might go, faith, what does that have to do with the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit? Here's what it has to do with the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit. First of all, is this dude saved? By definition, no. Paul is preaching to an unreached people group. Nobody's saved. So here's the pop quiz question. How does the dude who's not even saved have faith to be made well? Does that dude have any business having that faith? And the answer is actually no. Unless the Holy Spirit manifests as a gift of faith. So Paul looks out and he goes, that's a gift of faith. That's the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit, which is what those things are in 1 Corinthians 12, hovering presence of the Holy Spirit. He looks out and he goes, oh my gosh, that's the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit. So he says in a loud voice, sees, says, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, word and spirit. Boom, come together. And he sprang up and he began walking. Tell me that's not that happening. 
You can see that explicit language multiple times. Go read John 3. Peter and John healing the guy at the, at the blind gate. It says they walk by and they stopped in their tracks and they look at him and they say, dude, look at us. There's this moment of perception. God's hovering presence is here. And what does Peter do? He says, what I have I give to you. Get up and walk. Now, Here's why I say all of this. If we're not thinking in this grid, here's what most of us start doing when we start learning to partner with the Holy Spirit. We spray fire prayer at anything, indiscriminately. We're like, well, I guess, I guess God does stuff, so I guess I'll just pray. And I'm, I don't want to downgrade that. Like, that's actually a great attitude. I love that. But if we don't see the dynamics that's happening here, it's really easy to come to this conclusion. I pray and everything's just random. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe prayer's like kind of effective and maybe it's kind of not. And here's my problem with that. It sure didn't look that that's what it looked like to Jesus. I don't see Jesus looking at this prayer thing and, and you know, the blind guy comes up to him and Jesus is like, well, I'll give it a shot, I guess. I mean, I don't know what's gonna happen. Could work for you. He's not acting that way. What I see Jesus doing is he's acting like he understands the inner working of something. What if there's an inner working that we're actually not even paying attention to? So we're just like praying and randomly we run into the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit from time to time. Just enough to convince ourselves that it works, which is cool. But missing the mechanics and so it's sort of like, well, I don't know. I mean, basically if I've got thick enough skin to keep trying and to be encouraged by the once in a while that it works, I'll keep praying. Turns out we can all learn to see the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit. You can. That's what we're actually going to practice here in a few minutes. If you learn to see the hovering presence of the Holy Spirit, if you learn to add some words spoken through faith, you will like literally see the kingdom of God happen right in front of you. It is incredibly cool. It is incredibly powerful. And you know what it'll do? It will give you great confidence for the moment where you're like, oh, maybe I should pray for that coworker who has a migraine and out myself as a Christian <laughs> or whatever version, the family member and whatever it is, right? Like if you actually have some sense of what you're doing, you're like, oh, this was cool. Sometimes we, we have kind of a silly approach when it comes to these kinds of things. My, um, my wife is a music teacher. She primarily teaches uh, voice, her degrees, and vocal performance. She sometimes, you know, uh, teaches some piano and some things like that. And what none of us would ever do, like say if you, probably a number of people in here have played instruments, right? Imagine that you're learning to play the piano. What none of us would ever do is like go to one lesson and have a music teacher sit down with us and explain musical notation, Right? Here's the lines, these notes correspond to those notes on the keyboard, you know, here's how it works, you know, this is the, this is the duration of each note, you know, and all of that. And so, okay, like, can you play that note, bing, okay, that's good, can you play that one, bing, okay, that's good. All right, I think you've got it, I think you understand the basics, sounds good, 
here's Bach. Just hammer it out. Just have fun. Like you can, you, you can do it. Just stick with it. And, and that's actually a little bit what we do with prayer, believe it or not. Well, here's the five-step prayer model. Here's a few of the basics. Okay, now just go hammer it out 400 times. No, if a piano teacher teaches that way, their retention is very low. That's not because piano is actually hard. It's because it's not very helpful. There's an inside working, and if you learn the inside working, you'll be like, oh, I can learn to do this thing. Here's the deal, guys. You can learn to do this thing. And when we understand that what's really going on here is the fact that the Spirit of God is free to hover in any place, at any time, over anyone, in any situation, and the Word of God lives in you, then we realize that it's really true that what's not going on here is some magic pixie dust. Like, really. The, the people that you look at who are like, well, that person sees someone healed from cancer. That person's gotten someone up out of a wheelchair or whatever. We look at those people and we go, oh, well, they've got something I don't have. They actually don't. If anything, what they've got is they spot the hovering better than you. But what they don't have is magic pixie dust smeared on them. Because we all share the same magic pixie dust of the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And what that means is, whatever God will do with any one of us, God is eager to do with all of us. Whatever God would do with any one of us, he's eager to do with all of us. Whatever you've tabled for yourself, I want to encourage you, maybe you need to put it back on the table. Back off the table. You need to put it as an option again. <laughs> I was like really good until that. Like seriously, whatever you've disqualified yourself from, it's not that you don't have something, it's that there's a learning journey that you're invited into. The Spirit of God manifests in a bunch of different ways. And here's what happens. Take any random set of any skills that, for anyone you'll be better at some than others. And what we tend to do is we go like, oh, well, I can, I can sort of intuit that one and I can sort of intuit that one and all of that just feels really mysterious. And so then we, we create a story in our head which is like, well, I can do this, but I can't do that. Yeah, maybe you'll get some of them intuitively and that's great to the extent that you do. But if you don't get something intuitive, I have good news for you. You can just get it intentionally but you can have them all. God doesn't deal out parts of himself in this. I promise you that you didn't get like one third of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit doesn't hover over you in like a two thirds manner. So that means is like, oh, I don't know, healing can happen through you. Freedom can happen through you. Wholeness can happen through you. Deliverance can happen through you. Salvation can happen through you. 
can keep going. Walking on water could happen through you. Multiplying food can happen through you. Why not? Don't think you're big enough to get in God's way and stop him. We can learn to do these things. I'm going to read one more scripture, and then we're going to try and do it. Is that okay? We can do it? I have their permission. Here we go. All right, one last scripture. This is a sort of very practical scripture. Because there's a whole lot that Jesus is talking about here. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, when it comes to the ministry of the kingdom, it's actually really easy to take all of it and sort of push it into a hypothetical headspace. As if what Jesus is doing is trying to like give us philosophy or theology. That, that wasn't the way that the Jews in the first century lived. They weren't like theologians. They were people that lived practical, actual life. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's actually giving us some practical, actionable stuff that we'll probably concretely see in just a couple of minutes. Jesus, in in Matthew 4, he tells a really short parable about the kingdom that's really important. He says this, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of a mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds in the earth. And yet, when it's sown, it grows up and it becomes larger than all the garden plants. And it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, when Jesus is talking about this, and when he's talking about the kingdom of God, what he's not talking about is the church. What Jesus is not talking about, he's not saying, I'm going to die and there's going to be 12 dudes, which is really small, but then if you're just patient and you'll wait a few centuries, church is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, it turns out, historically, that's been true. And there may be a degree of legitimacy in interpreting that parable that way, but Jesus does not say the church is like a mustard seed. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God's in-breaking activity. The kingdom of God is when God starts godding, when he flexes his God muscles and when he does something. So what is this parable actually telling us? Here's what it's telling you. It's saying this. When God starts godding in any given situation, Sometimes God's godding starts like a mustard seed. Now, many of us may have seen mustard seeds. It's sort of a favorite of preachers to bring them in and pass them out. It's a great little mini object lesson, right? If you haven't, they kind of roughly look like poppy seeds. They're about that same shape and color, and so they're kind of like that, right? So imagine this. Imagine you've got one of those in your hand. And imagine you're like, I want to plant this mustard seed. So you till up the soil, right? And you've got nice, good, rich soil that you're going to plant it in. And you take the one mustard seed that you plan to plant. And you go and you drop that in the dirt. Here's Putty's question. Are you actually even going to see where that thing lands? I mean, like, think about it. Like, if you actually have rich, dark dirt. And you've got this tiny little dark seed that you can heart, like smaller than a poppy seed. 
Once that thing gets out of your hands, I probably can't even see where it lands. Maybe if I'm lucky. So what's Jesus saying here? Here's what he's saying. He's saying this, believe it or not, when God starts godding and the kingdom starts breaking in, it actually begins as something that's so small it could be perceived as a non-event. And that really matters because here's why. For whatever reason, when it comes to doing ministry, it's really easy to equate sort of the volume of what you see to the amount that you believe God is working. Make it concrete, okay? Let's hypothesize you have the nightmare scenario that happens. You're like, okay, I'm gonna step in. Putty got me jazzed up. I'm gonna go pray. So at church, you're like, I'll be on the prayer team this weekend. So, you know, however you're concluding your service, you're up there for prayer and you're like brave and you're stepping out and you're taking a risk and then somebody wheels up to you in a wheelchair. And you're like, oh. Maybe they need like blessing in their marriage, you know? And <laughs> like, how can I pray for you? And they're like, my spine was severed 30 years ago. I've been paralyzed and I wanna walk, right? You're like, oh, we're doing the real thing here. Oh my, okay. Now, imagine you begin to pray and imagine two different ways that that evolves. If I sit here, am I gonna totally disappear from the cameras? Can I sit here just as an illustration point? People are scrambling, which makes me think I'm okay. Okay. So imagine this. Imagine, imagine, <clears throat> Paul, come over here. Lay your hand on me, okay? Like you're praying for me. All right? So imagine that, that, that Paul, in his, in his great, great bravery, says, okay, I'm going to pray for you. So he prays. And he says, come Holy Spirit, right? The infamous, come Holy Spirit, right? And, and imagine this is what happens. Imagine I'm sitting there. He says, come Holy Spirit. And what happens is. Oh, come on. <laughs> okay, now, what are you thinking? In that moment, I probably respond actually the way he said. You, maybe you could hear me say, oh, come on, right? In other words, it's like, that dude's really shaking. Maybe this is that the dude gets unparalyzed moment. But if he prays, and he says, come Holy Spirit, and this is what happens. What are you likely to think? Don't think God's doing it. How long do I have to pray before we can go get coffee? <laughs> no, what did you just do? You judged the volume to determine how much we believe God was working. But the point of the mustard seed story is that Jesus says that the big is in the small. Sometimes you're gonna pray and the Spirit of God is just gonna straight up drop a tree. I, those are cool moments. That's get up and walk moments. Like, hey, I'm all about it. That's phenomenal, I love it. But sometimes, and dare I say, maybe even oftentimes, you're gonna pray and you're not gonna see a tree thunk. You're gonna see a mustard seed drop. And the point of the parable that Jesus is saying is saying this, if you have the eyes to see it, the big's in the small. Maybe if you treat the small as if the big's in it, and you pray into it, you'll see the mustard seed grow 
and grow and grow and in fact grows so big that it becomes the biggest thing in the garden. Maybe there's more in the small than in the big. How many times do we quickly disqualify what God's doing based on we pray and see a mustard seed? Mustard seed might actually be more valuable than a tree in the first place. Now, how do we work with that seed? Well, that's exactly what we just talked about earlier. When you see a mustard seed of the hovering presence of the Spirit of God, what do you do? You add some words. And then you try and spot, what's the Spirit of God doing now? And you add some words. What's the Spirit of God doing now? And you add some words. And what you'll see if you can spot and follow the Holy Spirit, is you will see the tree grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And And what starts is like, this is a small little, not so impressive thing, can begin to become life-changing, profound encounters. Because we're actually believing the kingdom sometimes comes in a mustard seed and because we're actually doing the thing that the Bible shows us to do, which is when we see that hovering presence of God, to speak some words in faith.